Hello and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast, Series 4. We believe that expert, tailored, engaging and values-led training has the ability to transform lives. And we think it's an absolute privilege to facilitate the learning of frontline professionals. So this series is dedicated to sharing stories and tips from experienced and inspirational trainers. Its aim is to encourage and support people who are facilitating training to deliver their very best every time. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Joe Lovell to the podcast today. Joe is somebody that I've known probably for about six months now. And really, honestly, I've been absolutely blown away by her passion and dedication to delivering quality and expert training. Now, I am a little bit biased because she was on the last cohort for Training for Influence, Train the Trainer, but gosh, did she smash it. So, Joe, please, please tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name is Jo and I deliver training on domestic abuse and mental health. I also run recovery programs for women who have been victims of domestic abuse. I'm quite outspoken and incredibly passionate about education, awareness and training. And it was, yeah, it was a great learning curve to be on Tammy's T4I course and the previous cohort. I've made some great connections. I'm all about connections. I'm all about people and helping people and if I don't know somebody else will and I'm not afraid to ask about that so that's kind of me Tammy. Brilliant well let's talk a little bit about what you do then because as you said there you're really passionate and you're really outspoken and you deliver training in some really complex areas so tell us a little bit about why you do that. Well, my background is that I'm a survivor of domestic abuse and I know that there were a lot of times looking back and hindsight is a marvellous thing. I know there was lots of times where opportunities to ask those questions that some people find challenging was missed. I know that for me and for my son at the time, things could have changed maybe earlier, but I also know now a lot about how I wasn't ready until I was ready. You can't force a survivor victim through the cycle of change. You can't make them leave and you shouldn't ever say, why don't you just leave? So I'm really passionate about ensuring that all professionals have that strength and that courage to ask those questions that they might feel are difficult. Because actually, if they're difficult for the professional asking them, they're so much more difficult for the person that's living in that situation as well. So I just want to give them that confidence, that acknowledgement, yet Yeah, it's pretty tough asking people about their private life and what goes on behind closed doors. But it's vital that we do because lots of people, victims of domestic abuse, they die. You know, two women a week, three men a month, you know, they die due to domestic abuse. So we must have that confidence to be able to ask those questions. I deliver to social workers, to GPs, to health service professionals, to people in the community, because I believe safeguarding is everybody's business. And I believe that everybody should feel confident and able to ask those questions and to find out the information and to support somebody to reach that point that I did, that actually I was worth more and that I deserved a different life. I'd been so conditioned and coercively controlled that I believed that that was the only life I was entitled to and I was allowed. I didn't realise that actually it wasn't until towards very much until I realised that actually I was worth so much better. 
Gosh, do you know, Joe, just as you're talking there, you're giving me goosebumps. Do you know, I can feel your passion. It, it's palpable, but there's no wonder it's palpable because you've been in that experience. You've got that lived experience. So this is real life to you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And I am so grateful to the last two police officers that arrived that changed my life for me and my son because they believed me. They validated me. They listened. They gave me time. And I was at the point where I could accept and see support as realistic. And I think that's really, really important that we acknowledge that we do so much work as professionals, which I am now. And I can see the challenges that professionals really do face because I was that victim that wasn't ready for that intervention, that wasn't ready for that. But I was ready for somebody to ask me those questions and to show my worth, really, and that of my son as well. So, yeah, I am really passionate about it. And I I spend a lot of time, far too much time reading domestic homicide reviews, watching documentaries and research and listening to webinars and reading and talking to people. So it's not all purely just based on my lived experience. It's based on theory and solid practice and learning from those lessons that we need to learn from as well. So I really feel I can combine both when I'm delivering training. And I think that's something that comes across in my feedback as well. And it's something that TFRI process helped me understand that actually I, I was that operational expert and that I could handle certain questions that were difficult from professionals and that I actually had a solid base of lived experience and research to back up my answer to my question and that I needed to be confident with that. And that was quite a revolution for me to realize that actually, do you know, I've got this. I am an operational expert. And you can ask me your questions that you've never felt able to ask a survivor or a victim of domestic abuse. And I will answer them in a solid way based on research practice and my lived experience. So, yeah. You know, Joe, that was one of the things that, that just really amazed me when you were on the Training for Influence course was the fact that you were so open and willing to learn and hear other people's perspectives and have your perspectives challenged and then to really kind of go look for that data and that evidence. And when we were doing the expert module in particular, I remember you sitting there and just kind of taking it in and letting it process that you absolutely mm -hmm. are that expert. And it's interesting because you are that professional now, you're working in professional capacity, you're training other professionals. Tell us a little bit about that step from being a survivor, struggling, your life no doubt changed, but how did you and why did you become a trainer? Because actually there's a lot of other jobs that you could be doing, but actually what you're doing is you're going out there and you're delivering training in this subject. Why training? Well, my background is a special educational needs teacher, and I've always been a champion of those who have no voice, even way before I knew that that was what I was actually doing. Even at school, I was the prefect. I was the one that was taking the injustices to the head teacher. Those of us that were finding some of the subject matter difficult because the teacher wasn't necessarily the most dynamic. I was the one student repping even then. And I did once have to stand outside the head teacher's office for telling the science teacher that we were finding his lessons boring. But I stand by that decision. And so I've always been that champion, the ones that have no voice. And so when I found myself in a situation where I didn't feel like I'd had a voice for a very long time because people hadn't been asking and I hadn't been telling. And I just felt that that was a really natural progression to have that voice in a training role. 
I was also, again, really privileged with some of the amazing professionals that I met while I was in the refuge. I went on the programs that I now deliver. I went on the Freedom Program and the Recovery Toolkit, which are two very familiar domestic abuse victim to survivor kind of programs. So I went on them as a client and the facilitator in the children's centre where these were being held saw the potential in me. And so I wasn't working because I couldn't at that point because I was living in the refuge. My son was having difficulties at school. So again, I tried to hold down a little job, but school were having problems. So, you know, I'd have to be there for him. So it made it too difficult. So I was, again, privileged to have a professional that believed me and saw my capabilities, even when I was absolutely on the ground in terms of any strength or spoons or mental resilience or whatever you want to call it. And the Children's Centre, before their closure, funded me to train to be a practitioner of both the Freedom Programme and the Recovery Toolkit. And so then I went from being client to actually being I'd done a few sessions where I'd handed out the photocopy in and made the tea and stirred the soup that we fed the women. But then I managed to go from being that to being the facilitator of those programs with my colleague. And yeah, so that was how I went into training. That professional was actually one of the bridesmaids when I got remarried. So, you know, I gather people along the way, Tammy, as you said, and I really believe in the opportunities and people seeing capabilities in people. And so that's the very long-winded way of how I ended up delivering training because I knew I wasn't going to go back to teaching and my lad's got special educational needs and we've had a huge battle to get him decent provision and I didn't feel I could I could do that anymore, funnily enough, because I think it would break my heart. So I'm not quite sure why I do the work I do now because that does still impact my emotional resilience. But yeah, I just love it. I just really enjoy it. And to be able to take people on a journey with their views that they arrive to the training with and their views that are gathered along the way as we all learn together. And I'm very much my training. I learn every time I deliver training from the people that have signed up to attend my facilitation, my training. You just said a few things there, Joe. So you went, <laughs> so I don't know why I do this because this still takes my emotional energy. And then before you even breathed, you went, but I love it because when people come <laughs> so you absolutely know why you do it. Because oh, yeah. you're creating that change, aren't you? Yeah. I love the story of the starfish, you know, one starfish at a time back into the sea. But I want professionals to have that strength, that courage, whatever they need to be able to support their clients that are going through the most difficult times possible. And to have that person in your corner and have them validate you and believe you as a survivor, as a victim, it's so, so powerful. And it might not be that first time that somebody says to you, I believe you, I validate you, that a victim will have that strength to escape. It might be the sixth, seventh, eighth, or in my case, it, I don't know how many times it was, a long time. But yeah, they just don't realise when that's going to be. And it's about being consistent. But yeah, I do really love it. And I do get, I get so nervous beforehand because I want to make that difference. And I'm so excited beforehand. But afterwards, I'm always like, yeah, <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I just think you're talking about privilege to an extent. You know, actually, as a frontline worker, I truly believe that every single frontline worker is in a really, really powerful privileged position. They might not feel it. They might not recognize it. They might not see it on that day because, gosh, we expect a lot from our frontline professionals. 
actually they have the power to be able to help somebody to be safe, to transform their lives, you know, to access services. That is a privilege. And then you're talking about the privilege that you've got, you know, you've got their time, their attention, their energy for however many hours your training course is, and you've got the opportunity to impact their frame of reference and the way that they respond in domestic abuse situations. You know, it's quite magical when you talk about it like that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's just such a process. And I think just having those confirmations from doing the course just made me feel even stronger about what I deliver and why I deliver it and what my why is. It is such a privilege. And I don't think I'd ever really realized how much privilege it was in a positive way. I think I'd always been like, oh my goodness, they've signed up for three hours of training with me. And that was, again, a real switch that I was able to have through the training was that, yeah, they've signed up for three hours worth of training with me. You know, they could have chosen anyone out. Well, they couldn't, but they might have done it with anybody else. But it's me that's going to deliver it. And I've got that opportunity. And I really work hard when I've got the delegates in front of me, whether it be online or face to face to make sure that I include everybody that I've got there and ensure that they can all take something away, even if it is the validation that they're doing a damn good job in a really, really challenging, difficult situation. And it's affirming what they believe are the skills that they're using. So yeah, no, it's been a real change. (laughs) It was a real pleasure to actually watch as you went through the methodology, because You've been delivering impactful training for a while now, you know, and it's no surprise to me that your feedback is excellent. You know, when I, well, when Becky assessed you, actually, because the mentor did the assessment for yourself, but when I watched back the assessment, I sat back really, really proudly because I could see the confidence that you had in your own delivery from kind of going through those stages of the methodology. So talk to us a little bit about how you deliver your training, because you don't just present a PowerPoint (laughs) and tell them about your lived experience by any stretch of the imagination. You really put everything into this and you exceeded every single step of the methodology. So tell us a little bit about your sessions and how they present. Well, I, I have my lesson plan and I have my PowerPoint, but really it's about acknowledging the amazing expertise that I have in that room. When I deliver to police officers, I'm the only non-police staff in that room when I deliver to 30, 40 police officers with my colleague, who is usually a very high-serving police officer, which I always found a bit daunting at first. And it can feel quite lonely being in that room with victim voice, very much your thing. But actually, again, as you've said, going through this training, actually, so what? I'm, I'm there for a reason and I'm there to balance out the police, the pace code and the G, whatever, and the, you know, evidence gathering, but I'm there to make it human and to relate it to what actually somebody is going through at that point in time and how the difference can be depending on how you respond to that person and why you might get some responses that you get from victims at that point in time. Because again, because I was that one that when the police, to use an example, turned up, I was the one that was effing and jeffing and swearing at them and telling them it finished and they were too late and to go away. And it's about them seeing it from another perspective. I'm very much go with the flow. I I think, again, that's my confidence has grown that actually I can go off topic, but bring it back to the objectives and bring it back to what I was trying to address. 
and I can ask, I can open it up and go, has anyone got any questions that they've brought today to this training that they really, really don't get, don't understand and need me to make sure that by the end of the training, you do understand or you've at least gathered some more information and some more signposting to go and explore a bit more. So I suppose for me, it's about having that confidence that whatever happens in the room, I've got this, you know, I can rock it. I can own that session. I deliver a lot on my own. And it's just being able to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't know about that question or I don't know that specific or we're running out of time now. But what I'll do is I'll make sure I've got your email address and I'll drop you, you know, some information, some links or something that I know I've got on my computer amongst the umpteen various bits of information I've got that I can share with you. You know, it's about having that understanding that to ask for help or to say, I don't know, is actually all right. And that, again, is part of being that expert is that I'm not ever going to reach that point where I am that I can stop. I mean, I might do, you know, my mental capacity might mean that, but it's about the fact that I always want to move forward in my knowledge, my understanding. And I hope that's what the delegates catch and they certainly catch my passion. And I can also talk for a very long time without taking a breath. Um, (laughs) Try not to use that in my delivery methods. I have started the does that make sense? And then count to eight before you move on, because it takes about eight seconds for them to process it, turn their mics off mute and come back to me. But that's something again, listen and silent have the same letters in them. So I'm trying to work with that. Yeah, because yeah. it can, do you know, it is, it is a lesson. Do you know when we were doing the facilitation skills module part of it? I remember us having a a real conversation with all of the delegates on there about those active listening skills and that talent for questioning and then being comfortable with silence. And particularly, you know, you converted your course to deliver live online. And actually, it is without a doubt more uncomfortable to wait for eight seconds when you're staring at a screen as a facilitator than it is in the room because you can't judge so well whether anybody's just about to say something. Whereas with nonverbal cues in the classroom, you can see that somebody's just kind of working themselves up, can't you? Yeah, I usually have like three or four maybe that you can always guarantee to say something. So I do the eight seconds and then I just clarify that. Have you got anything you want to add to that? But um, I've also learned that when you count into eight, you have to move as well a little bit online. Otherwise, people think you're frozen and log out. So there are skills that are different online. But I've actually really, really, really enjoyed using those skills because it is about looking at the little clues and picking those up and working out which delegates. And also, I'm privileged enough to get a list of people beforehand and know even though it's tailored to a certain level, it's open to all sorts of different groups and professions. So I get a little list of who is from what profession, if they're from probation service or the health service or or whatever. But when they sign up for the understanding domestic abuse and coercive control or the children and families. So if there is an organisation I don't know, I usually do a little bit of of scoping out to find out what that organisation is. And that's really helped me continue to make that connection online. Yeah, that tailoring makes all of the difference, doesn't it? Because you can connect with the delegates right from the beginning. 
tell us a little bit about how you make your sessions engaging and interactive. And I say that knowing some of this answer, because obviously I've seen some of your sessions and I've been part of those conversations. Actually, you really go out of your way to make sure that you meet people's learning styles, don't you? Yeah, well, I think it's just so important. I know for me, I get bored easily, I suppose, is the expression, or or I'm often distracted. And I still sit in on different training that's delivered by our safeguarding board and different people. And I know what gets me and what makes it work for me. And so if I can use the music, if I can use the sort of interactive Jamboard or Slido or Mentimeter or whatever, just to ensure that people are there and they know what kind of session they're getting. I did a session with some social workers a couple of weeks back and they instantly I started it off. Right, we're going to do Slido now. You know, they've been warned that you need the cameras and everything. And I saw one of the bloke's faces and he just went, oh, and you could see him going, oh, my goodness, what training is this? And actually, he was really hard to reach at first because he was like, gosh, I thought I could sit here and do my emails at the same time and she wouldn't notice. But I did notice. And so, yeah, from right from the beginning, Slido, all of those different skills, the breakout rooms, the polls, I think it's got to be, it's got to be that you keep it going, you know, keep it meaningful. And I love music. If I can use music somewhere in my training, I'm happy because it just means so much for me. I think because when I was a victim and when my mental health was bad, I couldn't listen to any music whatsoever. And he, my perpetrator, took away that ability to choose what music I even liked. So now if I can have a bit of music going on or I can illustrate how impactive music is, then yeah, that's it. I could tell my whole journey in music and I have done in when I've talked to people about my story. And I just think, you know, it's such a privilege. And we, I come back to that word. It's a privilege. I've got to make it meaningful. And I, the feedback I get is, oh, my goodness, we use Jamboard and we got to use virtual post-its. It's like anything about the topic, you know. But yeah, because post-its have disappeared from workplaces now. So, yeah, I just anything I can do to add that layer on top, because I could be delivering the most amazing stuff. And if it's not grabbing them or real to them, then there's no point in me doing it, really. I'd like to take a brief interval from talking to our wonderful guest today to tell you a little bit about Training for Influence. We're on a mission to help frontline services easily access quality values-led training. That's why we developed our Train the Trainer program based on the book Transform Your Training. We run four intakes a year and each applicant is selected based on their current experience level and values. Just like our methodology, we've designed the learning to be personalised, interactive, inspirational and suitable for both new and experienced trainers to help them develop and deliver sessions either face-to-face or live online. If you're interested in applying for our 12-week blended learning qualification, then please do get in touch. All of our contact details can be found in the show notes. I think with live online learning, I know certainly when we were practicing as a cohort and we were trying all of these kind of different methodologies and things, there was that moment where everybody recognised that learning styles have always been important. And they, even when we were delivering face-to-face, 
you know, we very much advocated taking along accelerated learning toys and having sweets and fiddle toys and then having activities where you're working together and then working on your lo- alone and then moving around and all of those different things, particularly because people learn differently and information resonates with people differently. And people, if you meet their learning styles, they're more likely to retain that information. And that's what, as facilitators, we want to meet somebody where they're at and then give them all of those skills and knowledge to be able to then deliver their services differently or to use some of those skills and knowledge to improve the way that they deliver their services. And so when we went to live online, of course, all of those learning styles were equally as important, but actually it stepped up a notch because it was also about pulling people away from the distraction of the whole world, which is in their computer, you know, because you're right. They can be Google mapping China at the same time as planning their shopping list for next week and answering their emails. And so meeting learning styles is doubly faceted now because it is about keeping that attention and that interaction So you're grabbing every opportunity to help them to learn new stuff or to discuss and have their perspectives widened or whatever your objectives are. But it's that added layer for facilitators. If you're going to deliver training live online, and I truly believe that as we move forward, it's certainly what we're seeing at Tay Training. Customers are saying, we don't want to go back to 100% face-to-face. We either want hybrid training so that people from right across the country can join, or we want live online training. And so I think there is a bit of a sea change. And although we're a bit kind of Zoomed or Teamed or Googled out at the moment, Jeff, we fast forward a couple of years. I can imagine, Joe, that social worker coming along to your training or a health visitor coming along to your training or a police officer coming along to your training who's just been told by their manager that they can wear their pyjama bottoms all day and stay at home. <laughs> it's going to be celebrating. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it is. And I've, I've actually really enjoyed, well, because I'm constantly looking for that next challenge. And actually, we started off by using polls and the features within Zoom. And I've loved the exploration of adding extra bits in it, you know, and even some of the face to face, we've used those skills that we've got from online. We've, we've used the Slido in face to face training because I've been privileged enough to be able to continue some elements of that with the training I deliver to police officers. And it just makes it, you know, it's another level, like you say, Tammy, and I think it's, I've been so privileged to be able to offer all this training online through the organisation that I'm an associate with, because domestic abuse has been in the news and for reasons of accelerated claustrophobia through lockdown and perpetrators moving through the timeline much quicker that actually a lot of professionals have had that chance to be able to do training online because it's become a priority. And it has really, really been seen that we can deliver all over. I mean, we've got organisations, one organisation where we had somebody in Land's End and we had somebody in Hull. We didn't quite go much further than Hull, but to be able to do that in one training session is just pretty amazing, really. But yeah, it is about putting that next layer on and just keeping everybody going, really. When you think of it like that, when you said like Land's End and Hull, actually those people potentially wouldn't have been able to access your training if it wasn't live online. But my worry is, and what I'm really hoping doesn't happen within the sector, is there is so much poor live online uh, out yeah. there at the moment. You know, there's so many people that are using it as a sticking plaster to get mm-hmm. through COVID. And I completely get why that's happening. 
but actually going back to that word privilege again, you know, it's the word of the podcast, I think. Yes. This <laughs> but going back to that word, if we're going to deliver training in these areas to frontline professionals, actually it needs to be bloody good. They deserve that. They absolutely deserve that. So substandard live online, half asleep doing your emails isn't good enough. No, no. I mean, and there is notoriously bad, and I've experienced it, e-learning, you know, where, where you can literally click and then retake to get, you know, I've, I've done one recently. And I could have got all of them wrong and still got my certificate to say I completed it. And I know we delivered some training going back to the police officers because they can be quite a hard crowd to engage with. But they'd been told they were coming on domestic abuse awareness training for half a day. And they had all got in their heads that they were going to be doing it on a computer. So when they arrived and were shown the room to be in, they were like, well, there's no computers in here. And I was like, no, there's no computers in here oh, we get to do face-to-face with a real person. And I was like, yep. <laughs> and they're like, oh, good, good. They weren't so impressed at the time, but they did change their mind about it. I think they thought they'd had quite an easy morning and some of the afternoon, but they did. I mean, they loved it. They were very, very complimentary, but they thought they were turning up to e-learning. Yeah, it is one of the jobs, you know, we talk about it a lot, don't we? Do you know, when somebody comes along to training, whether it's live online or face-to-face, You really do only have a few minutes Mm -hmm. at the start of the session to really get them connected. It doesn't mean that if you don't do it, because you can't necessarily always connect everybody immediately, doesn't mean that you can't bring people in throughout the session. Of course you can. But actually how you set the session, how you frame the session, how you introduce the session is all fundamentally important for actually how much they commit their own, own mind and capacity that day. Absolutely. And I'm a great believer on that three second instant impression kind of thing and how you balance that and how you deliver the training. I think it's so important that you make that connection right from the beginning. I mean, I've struggled with it because I usually pick the largest police officer to shake their hand and kind of then go from there, really, because it's about me establishing my presence in that room as an expert and as the person delivering the training. And that's been quite challenging with COVID and also online as well. But I I like to do that. I am the introductions person when I'm co-delivering because I like to do that, get little bits of information that I can use throughout my training to connect even more to their role and how they are. You can learn a lot in that first five minutes of introductions. Some people appreciate it. Some people don't. Most people do. But I think we've done some sessions around, you know, how important that initial connection is. And how you can then show, I mean, I show my values right from the minute they see me kind of thing. And that, again, has been such an amazing journey through the T4I stuff about my values and about how I didn't think that I was using them as much as I should. But I very clearly am. And they very much flow through everything, everything I do. And particularly, I'm passionate about showing those values when I'm delivering. I'm very animated about it and yeah, I'd like to have those values really at the forefront of my honesty, my openness and my transparency. And I think that's why I can get people to ask me questions about domestic abuse that they might not have ever felt able to ask anyone because they know that I will give them an honest answer. And if I don't want to answer it, I will also be honest about that. I've pretty much always answered questions and managed to change that frame of reference, change that belief around. I did once get asked why victims of domestic abuse were so stupid. That was quite an interesting one to breathe, talk about it. 
what's your perception of stupid? What's my perception of stupid? And let's go from there. And also just, you know, the perception that actually I am a reasonably, I've got a degree, I was a teacher, I was a safeguarding lead. Why did it still happen to you? And why didn't you just leave earlier? If I can be open and honest, then I can allow people that safe space to ask those questions as well. And I think that's really, really important that my values allow people to feel that safe to ask those questions. And I'm not judging them. It's, you know, I would have done the same. And actually, some days I do wonder why I didn't, you know, leave earlier. And then I get out my affirmations and all the rest of it and my theory and know why I did it. So, yeah. It's very much about frame of reference. And your story is widening their frame of reference. And, you know, that done well can literally transform the way that somebody works with somebody else. And I've seen that myself. You know, you said earlier, every course you deliver, you learn something from the delegates. And that's exactly how I feel, particularly even more so with the training for influence stuff, because actually you're all bringing different subjects and you're all developing a training course in that different subject as you're going through the train the trainer process. And you're, you're building that relationship together. And it's been wonderful, not only for me to learn from each of you guys as you're developing that course and really having my frame of reference widened and kind of topping up knowledge and things, but actually you guys interconnecting with each other because the community's become really quite a magical place. And there's some amazing collaborations that are happening in there because you're learning about each other's subjects and each other's passion and each other's values. Yeah. And you can't fail to catch it, particularly from the cohort. You know, you can't fail to see how passionate we all are about what we believe in and what we do. And that comes from that shared values. I think I think one of the cohorts training made us do our T-shirts with what were our values. And I was absolutely amazed that they were all pretty much the same. I don't know why I was amazed because I knew they were, but it was such a moment. And I think if you can use that when you're training, and acknowledge that, you know, my values are this. How does that sit? How do we feel about it? And I think it can only make us more open and honest within boundaries, obviously, and safeguarding and things with the clients that we're working with. I would know as a victim which professionals really gave monkeys about me and didn't really care. I would know which teacher was going to properly listen to my son. I would know which social worker would arrive with that knowledge already about why I was doing certain things. And that actually to stay with my perpetrator was not really a choice. It wasn't that I was putting my relationship above anybody. It was what I needed to do to stay safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a real, I'm going to say privilege again. Yeah. But, you know, when, when we go through the application process and people put in their applications for the course, You'll know because you've been through it. We have an application window, everybody applies, and then we sit down with the applications and with their assessment results. And we have a look specifically at their values, their experience, and their subjects. And then we pick and choose to make the cohort a cohort that's going to learn from each other and really kind of develop together. And it's a privilege to be able to do that. And it's quite exciting to be able to, when you see it work so well, because you're just about to do some joint training yourself with somebody else on the cohort. And I know certainly that you're doing other training now as well. You're not only, and I say only in the biggest inverted commas you could possibly find, but you're not only doing domestic abuse training, are you? Do you know you are a trainer through and through? Yeah. 
domestic abuse impacts on so many different parts of your life. I'm also very passionate about mental health and about how we see people as holistic instead of what's wrong with you, what happened to you and that trauma-informed approach, a good trauma-informed approach that comes through in the training that I'm delivering and also when I'm delivering domestic abuse training, but also when I'm delivering mental health training and when I'm delivering things about understanding depression or understanding anxiety, you know, what is it that's under there? It's about that be curious, ask those next steps questions in a safe and supportive way to validate that person's experience. And I think that I was going to say something like that translates to lots of other areas that I'm trying to learn about, but that sounded a little bit arrogant, but I am an operational expert, so I can say that. Yeah. So, yeah, I am. am. Every single expert in this world, and actually when we had the guest expert come in, he said this time and time again, you know, just because you're an expert and you're recognising that doesn't mean that you know everything. Every day is a school day. And the day that we think we know everything about everything is the day that we we should stop delivering training, in my opinion. So it doesn't sound arrogant at all. It sounds like you're securing your knowledge of one subject. And even within that, you know that you're coming from your perspective, your frame of reference, and you're challenging that by ensuring that you're bringing in and considering, like we were talking before we started about the domestic abuse bill, and you're making sure that you're really au fait with the implications of that. And, you know, so you can be an expert, but that doesn't mean that you stop learning. Learning is forever, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. We love it. <laughs> I, I do. I do love it. And I think that's one of the things about the working from home business and keeping that work-life balance is that working from home has been great for me. My husband lost his job just before the first lockdown, but actually we've made it work. We're great believers in solving problems in our house. We, You can always solve a problem. It might not be in the way you first thought of, but you can always solve a problem. So it's about being creative and it's about making things work. And I think that's been really vital as our marriage has changed with him being at home a lot more. And me working online a lot more from home. So it's been about establishing that balance. And I think for all of us, it's been a huge period of change, but it's how you deal with that change and how you reflect on it and how you move forward. And I think for me, one of the greatest things in my teaching degree was being a reflective practitioner. And it's exhausting being a reflective practitioner because sometimes you're reflecting on stuff that actually maybe you should just go, yeah, that happened. And, you know, I'm okay with it. It was out of my control or it was in my control and next time I'll do this. But I think that's part of how I've kind of had to evaluate my home work-life balance. And also we have an allotment that we escape to. And that's really, really helped address the balance because I don't take my mobile phone and it's just about me and the weeds and the maybe some plants that might be growing. But um, <laughs> it's just about being somewhere else and having that time away. Yeah, and recognising and role modelling exactly what you're saying yeah all of your sessions because you're using the methodology that actually you have to look after yourself you have to recognize the importance of emotional resilience you know your well-being if you're not mentally well you know then actually the the service you're delivering whether that's training or a frontline service isn't going to be the best it can be so I love the fact that you scoot off down to your allotment that's brilliant Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, oh, it is great. It is really good. And it's just having that time away. And also, I think, you know, I'm trying to model how you have a healthy relationship after an abusive one as well. And I bring that into some of the work that I do, particularly the work I do with domestic abuse survivors, because it's incredibly difficult to have a relationship after you've been through periods of abuse because of the trust and the boundaries and the red flags and things. So so yeah, so I hope I model that work-life balance and I know when it's going away and also being able to listen to my my husband as well when he notices things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Joe, it really has. It's been my pleasure to talk to you. In fact, no, do you know what? Privilege. It's been my privilege to talk to you today. But also it was my privilege to watch you kind of grow and develop as you went through the Train the Trainer methodology. This is the last podcast in this series. And the next series, we're going to be specifically talking to people who have had a frontline professional do something that has helped them to transform their lives. And it's perfect because just before we hit record, you told me the story about the two police officers that helped you change your life. So I wonder if you would mind finishing on that and giving us this seamless link in <laughs> series number five. Ah. In the work I do with police officers, they always get to hear the bad stories and they always get the complaints. And whenever I do it, I always tell them about the last two police officers that I had to call to come to our house after there'd been a particularly volatile situation. And for me, it was how they treated me and the change they made. They saved mine and my son's lives. And I'm quite open about that because they were there at the right time. They validated, they listened. I don't remember them doing the paperwork that they're supposed to do. I know they did, but it was about how much they valued me and my lad, particularly at a time when somebody who was supposed to particularly care about us and told us they loved us was not behaving in that way. So those last two police officers made a real, real difference. And I think that's so important for us as professionals to know that we do make a difference and that it does change lives. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, and in fact, those two police officers really might not know. Do you know, they don't necessarily know that you're delivering training to hundreds and hundreds of people to help them be able to respond more effectively in domestic abuse situations. They don't know that actually they started off that domino effect for you by responding appropriately in a time that you needed them. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, and I always share that because you just don't know. I know a little bit about when I deliver training and, you know, I delivered training the other week and we were doing domestic abuse champions and the lady who worked in the doctor's surgery, she went away, put it on the website safely, checked all the things out. And within about 20 minutes, somebody had already contacted her to say, I need some help. I'm really struggling with this. And she was able to advise and support and listen and validate. And so I know a little bit about the difference my training makes. But the police officers certainly don't get to hear enough of the you changed my life kind of stories. Yeah, the stories that get us out of bed and keep us doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joe. well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Obviously, I'm going to keep seeing you and yeah. keep talking to you because you're part of our community. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final words of wisdom you want to say to other trainers out there? Oh, by Tammy's book? 
would be a good one, I think, because it has certainly changed my way of seeing about training. And just, oh, I didn't even ask you to say that. No, you didn't ask me to say that. And I was thinking, can I say that? Or is that just two? But no, it really has. And as you know, Tammy, I was lurking around your Facebook page for a long time before I um, plucked up the courage, but it really has made a difference. Just to have that solid basis of, yep, I know what I'm doing. This is how you do it. Tailored expert, you know, those sort of things. And let your values shine through. Yeah. If you haven't got Tammy's book, I would suggest buying it because it has changed my training delivery and how I see myself as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Do you know what? that? It just makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> you know already the journey that I've been on and how hard it was for me to actually... Um, get that book done so thank you for reaffirming that as well have a lovely uh, rest of your day won't you i will do thank you tammy thanks so much for listening to this podcast today we really hope you found it enjoyable and useful please do click subscribe and then you'll be the first to know when we publish the next episode and we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who might find the tips useful or resonate with the stories If you'd like to find out any more about us or our wonderful guests, all the information can be found in the show notes. We really hope you have a wonderful day. And please remember, be kind to yourself. It makes all the difference.